At the birth of Christ, Mary treasured up things in her heart and pondered them. Now, this is something which is quite interesting because there is a little bit of a mystery here. What really was it that Mary understood at that point in the gospel? What were the things that she actually treasured? So today, we're going to be talking about the mystery of Christmas. Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dillon Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. So today, as we often read through the Christmas story and hear those words, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, we know a lot about the gospel. We live 2,000 years later, and we understand that Christ ultimately ends up on the cross. But for Mary, what would she have really understood at that fact? Today we're going to be talking about that as she watches the events of the gospel unfold and seeing what we can learn as we examine the life of Mary and all those mysteries there at the birth of Christ. So let's open up in prayer. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings and for how you have blessed us by creating time and space and called us to come and gather. So be with us as we go through this podcast Uh, Be with those who are listening, and may everything we say and everything we do be for the upbuilding of your kingdom and for your glory. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, as we jump into this, just opening thoughts. What do y'all think about Mary in that moment? You know, she has had a few things come to her, but God doesn't ask Mary and Joseph to put together their business plan or what is your (laughs) Sunday school outline for how you're going to raise the Messiah. They're just asked to be a righteous Jewish family. And, you know, we often do just glaze over really quickly. She pondered these things in her hearts. What do y'all think about Mary's position right there? Pastor Mano, I'll come to oh, you first. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there, I, I can imagine, because where that text is is after the shepherds leave. I mean, so this is pretty recent after the birth. I, I can't imagine, I'm sure she had a lot on her mind, but to be able to even process through that, like just having given birth and then strangers show up, talking about more angels that you've already, you know, you've had an experience with angels, your husband had an experience with angels, your your cousin Elizabeth had experience with angels, and now these random people, you know, like there is a lot going on um, where I think like our modern response is we can't even, like for Mary, she, she had to do this. And like you said, there was not a business plan or, or a, um, like a Dr. Spock book she could read that would explain these things to her. Um, she just had to be a mom yeah and yeah and i think maybe that's what that text was trying to invite us into like this is maybe the first time in a while she's had the opportunity to sit back and think about what actually this was calling her towards yeah she just had to be a a righteous mom pastor mike what are your thoughts on that initially Uh, initially you know i think for me it's 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 apocalyptic in the sense that this is a revelation that she has received. And again, I don't think there's any way that she could have known everything that was to come or how it was to come about, but she trusted God. And to know that she was chosen by God is something that you that you just feel so grateful in your heart about to know that, that God cares enough and has chosen you. And so I think for, for me, when I see that, the revelation uh, that has come and starting to see it being fulfilled and all these strange shepherds start showing up in the the odd circumstances where you're thinking how could you know you're probably questioning your own uh, revelation that she had before that and then all of a sudden you see these other people in this strange situation confirming what's going on to say really I am chosen of God for a special calling here uh, that's just an amazing uh, relationship to be to have with God. Sure. So what we're going to do for this is I'm going to share some scriptures. I want us to put together a basic framework of what Mary really understood. So there is some mystery in this. How much did she know? We're not going to add anything extra. A lot of times people will try to fill in the gaps because there's a lot of things that we don't know. But really what I want us to do in answering this question, the mystery of what Mary actually treasured in her hearts, we're just going to have the basic framework of what Scripture tells us. So what we're going to do for the rest of this segment, and we'll have two segments after this, is I'm going to read a little piece of Scripture, and then I'll let Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike respond to that. So beginning with Mary herself. She has a visit from the angel Gabriel, and this is in Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 38. This is one of the longer passages we'll read, by the way. And the angel Gabriel, he comes to her, and this is verse 28, saying, Greetings, 
You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, Mary, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Hmm. Mary asked, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And in verse 38, Mary responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. So today I want us to do an investigation. And this is something everyone out there in the audience gets to participate in. You know, we look at... A the, the angel coming to Mary and telling her that she is favored. We are all favored by God. If you Amen. have the breath of life with you, you are special. God has chosen you. You are unique among all of his creatures. And to see the birth of this child, all childbirth is a miracle. And here we see the miracle of God's son. What are the basic facts? So whoever wants to jump in here first, we'll just kind of let this be a little open-ended. What are the basic facts of what Mary learned from that meeting? Uh, well, I think... She she hears the um, call that the son will will be will sit on the throne of David, and so there there's already even though the word Messiah is not used in this text, I don't believe um, there the idea of Messiah is being fulfilled. And so for her, I think she would know this concept of Messiah, hoping for a Messiah, a promised one, an anointed one, a king. But she would also be very familiar with the fact that she is currently in Roman occupation. Um, yeah. So so I think. As exciting as that would sound for uh, a Jewish uh, person to be hoping for a Messiah, they're also thinking there are consequences. Because you already have things like the Zealots and the tensions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees already building at this yeah. point. So um, I also think it's interesting, like he starts off with you're highly favored. And I think sometimes, especially when we're given uh, positions of, of lots of responsibility, part of us is very excited about that because we're like, oh, I'm, I'm good enough to be highly favored. And then there's also a part of us that goes, hmm, maybe I don't want to be highly favored because yeah. that means I then have to go yeah. do something. Um, and, and I think very quickly, and, and I, you know, I've been thinking about this too, her response, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I think we always kind of take that as a, a, a technical question, like how do the pieces work? But I wonder if now, kind of just hearing Mary's story more and more, it wasn't so much a technical question in the sense of how do I get pregnant, but in the sense of what I have no resources, I have nothing to give to God. Yeah. Why? Why uh, yeah. is this happening? Like, yeah. how is this not just how is this going to happen in the sense of how do I get pregnant, but how is this going to be sustained? Yeah. How mm -hmm. will I care for a child? How will I I bring about the Son of God and then raise him? Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. And then you know. Uh, just nurture him and care for him and and so i think there's a lot going on in just these few verses although you said sure. this is the largest passage we're going to go over this are, there's a lot probably running through mary's head at yeah. this point where she's just like um excuse me what <laughs> um because yeah. there already there is i think chaos is entering in and trouble the 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 trouble in the text it is already we're already seeing it um, slip into to the narrative. Yeah, and building off that a little bit. So you mentioned Rome and the zealots and all that stuff. Going back to that idea real quickly. If you think about the birth of the Messiah for more than thirty seconds at Mary's time, mm -hmm. you're going to realize, oh my, the Jewish people don't really have a nation. That means some sort of confrontation at minimum. Yeah. At, at maximum. You can't have two kings. Yeah, you can't have two kings. At maximum, that is going to be a, a like massive war. Mm -hmm. At at minimal, there's going to be some sort of breaking off or splitting of kingdoms. There's, there's no way that that's going to be some peaceful, warm, fuzzy transition. So she's already got that planted. And then when you, again, you think about I'm a virgin going to have a child, you think about that for more than 30 seconds and you say, I'm not even married to Joseph yet. Um, I'm kind of one of these least of these in society. I'm not really somebody capable of raising the Messiah. And yeah, 
Interesting stuff. Pastor Mike, what do you what are your thoughts on the basic facts here? Well, obviously, we we can have so much uh, that's in the text that we see right on the surface, but then you have to get behind the text. And so, uh, you know, first century culture is much different from, you know, 21st century, and we shouldn't try to impose 21st century on first century. But we can understand that she is one of the least of these, and, and though she's not in the priesthood, she's also not a man. She, she is a woman who is being found most favored. Well, first of all, those two things probably don't go together in the first century, and yet God has chosen her. And Luke brings this out, and and she doesn't talk. It doesn't talk a lot about Zechariah, but it talks about Elizabeth, your aunt. Yeah. And so all of these things come, and then by her giving birth, obviously, and we'll see that a little later in this stable. All of these things are just it's it's overwhelming. I'm thinking for her, but there has to be an element that says everything that I'm seeing and hearing has conflict involved with the mm. culture that I am in. Yeah. And yet, I say, let it be, God. Yeah. You know, I know we, we kind of say it, it doesn't fit in first century thinking. Um, 21st century 21st thinking? 21st century thinking. Yeah. Evidently, it did fit in the first century because these things happened. And, and beyond yeah. that, you also find that Mary quickly, her and Joseph even, they are not going to be thinking like the world like at all. I mean, how many angel visits did Amanda <laughs> mention earlier? And we're going to get to some of those in a second. And for, for that purposes, for time, let's just roll on onto them. Yeah. Um, so let's go into that visit with Joseph and see just how they are looking to see the world so differently. So in Matthew chapter one, you get David's side of this, or excuse me, Joseph's side of this. Um, going ahead and Mixing up stuff here. All right, so <laughs> in Matthew 1, verse 20, it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as Mary home as your wife because of what is conceived in her. What is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is what the angel says to Joseph. And Joseph, he's going to tell this to Mary. I, I don't think that they would spend, you know, whatever months between now and the actual birth in Bethlehem, you know, that approximate nine months, give or take some. I don't think he's going to just keep that all a secret. <laughs> uh, but the angel goes on to say there in verse 23, he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Joseph has all this to work with. He's got like the God with us name. There's this whole forgiveness of sins. Mary's been told he is going to reign for all Ever. eternity. Yeah, like yeah. into perpetuity. Big stuff. Pastor Mike, begin us with the basic facts here. Well, not only is uh, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us, but also you will name him Jesus, which is Yahweh saves. And that would have been a name that others would have had then too. So it wasn't like this is an odd name, but but it, it is a lot happening there to digest uh, for Joseph, who you know, he, he obviously knows he's not the father of this child. And yet for him to experience this, you know, this revelation of God through this angel, uh, it, it's, it's a tremendous uh, pill to swallow, so to speak. But this this whole understanding that this is God with us, this is Yahweh saves, this is Ishua, Jesus that is going to lead your people. This has got to be uh, probably great news, but at the same time, scary news because we do are back in that setting where Rome is very much, um, you know, a controlling power of all of that region. And so we see that God is breaking in, much like the delivery of, uh, you know, the Hebrews out of bondage, out of Exodus. So there's an anticipation and excitement. And, and uh, you know, I think that context uh, really helps Joseph with this revelation, with this mm -hmm. angel to see this is bigger than, than myself. This is bigger than Mary. This is, this is really and truly bigger than, than um, Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Manny, your thoughts on that? Well, and actually, I think I would play off what Pastor Mike said, bigger than Israel. I think it's interesting that uh, in Matthew's gospel, which was predominantly uh, written to those who would have known the Jewish tradition, 
he he points out that that the angel tells Joseph, "You will name him Jesus, for he will save uh, his people from their sins." And then we have Luke's gospel, which was predominantly, we believe, written to to those not familiar with the Jewish tradition, probably Gentiles. And yet, for the angel who comes to Mary, is very specific about he will sit on the throne of his father David. And and I think the reason I'm, I'm bringing that together, it is kind of like every time we want to put God in a box, you know, every time yeah. we're like, these are the parameters by which God will work within, uh, God will work with Israel, or God will work with everyone but Israel. We we see God being like destroying yeah. <laughs> those parameters or yeah. crossing those parameters. And I think, you know, we start off with the angel saying, Joseph, son of David. So he is connecting Joseph with that that larger narrative of of the, the messianic error of the kingdom of David and also the the... Uh, being descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and all of them. But he's also then stretching Joseph and being like, you are part of something bigger than that tradition has even prepared you for, like Pastor Mike said. And and I think for Joseph, as kind of the name bearer, generally in that in that culture, the one who would be giving the identity to his son is now being told like, this the vision you have for your family is going to be so much better and so much bigger than you could even imagine. Yeah. So, all right. So just piecing together our basic framework right mm-hmm. now. So far we know Mary has got this word that is going to be a Messiah figure, which is going to mean if he is on a throne, there is going to be confrontation with yeah. Rome. She knows that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then when the angel comes to Joseph, there is that pull that takes things in a cosmic kind of priestly prophetic direction. You might say, I mean, even that connection with, say, the prophet, um, you, you get this whole language there that he's going to be Emmanuel, God with this. All of this stuff really is reflective of something like a Moses Exodus event mm-hmm. where it kind of feels like that cosmic movement of God coming down to pull Israel in a certain direction. So you do feel how all of this kind of evolves from a very practical setting to also a very cosmic setting. And there's a lot to take in there because a lot of this stuff is difficult. It's very risky. Mm-hmm. It's not just risky in the fact that the angel is you know glorious and it might smite you just from being there, <laughs> but also the fact that this means war. Mm. This means war with things that are bigger than all of us. Yeah. And and here we are. Yeah, Mary, Mary's Mary, Joseph's Joseph. Neither one of them are, are sitting over there in like a nice governor's palace or something like that. And this is what has come to them. Well, let's keep going just a little bit further. So another thing that happens is they have word from family. And Elizabeth comes into this. So let me read how Elizabeth and Mary come together. So we examine the mystery of Christmas. What did Mary really treasure in her heart? So in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 45, this is when Mary and Elizabeth meet. It says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why? Am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Amazing stuff. Somebody mm-hmm. give me the basic facts here. Amanda, walk us through this. Yeah, well, I think we hear in this, uh, um, in that last verse, blessed is she who believes what the Lord has, uh, would fulfill his promises to her. And then going back into the text we read about Mary, where the angel tells her that the word of the Lord um, will be fulfilled. It will never come back void. And we do see that there is a lot of trust that is happening. There, there's some great cosmic and also very personal promises that are being made in this Messiah, in this Christ and the Savior uh, that is coming, and yet there's also, uh, we're seeing in the midst of conflict and confrontation creeping in, we're, we're also seeing a lot of faith and trust. And so I um, I wonder if in that moment after the shepherds leave, if Mary is, is also taking that time as she's kind of processing through what just happened, also that God has already been faithful to get her to that point how much more God will be faithful to continue to be with her. And let's take the idea you just posited there and put that in our pocket because when we get to the B segment, Mm. that's going to be really important to think about. We're going to go towards the cross. And when Mary watches Jesus on the cross, she's heard that the Lord's word, the Lord's promises, they don't come back void. And then she's going to watch her son die. So keep that in your pocket. We're going to come back to that. Mm. Uh, Pastor Mike, any thoughts on this before we... 
Oh, absolutely. The, the very phrase, blessed is she who has believed in the Lord, would fulfill his promises to her, is first of all, to say Lord in the first century is to say, to say Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not. And yeah. that comes with very powerful uh, meaning as well as consequences when you say that. And so there, there's this whole idea that belief is bigger than just faith that it, it, it brings about what Pastor Amanda said with loyalty and trust and commitment and obedience, even to the point of death. Yeah. And so this is a very powerful statement that Elizabeth is making to Mary. And again, I don't think Elizabeth understood everything. Zechariah didn't understand everything. Joseph, Mary, none of them understand everything, but they did know that God was doing something amazing. Uh, and they had responded to this, and it it, it is a beautiful uh, part of our heritage. Yeah, mm. never fall into the trap that you have to have all the answers. That's a trap of the devil. You mm -hmm. don't. You have to be willing to walk through the dark valley even when you feel like God's faith. presence is missing. Yeah, that's what real faith is. Mm -hmm. And to the point of saying that the Lord is with you, that you're carrying the Lord, that means war. That too means war. Mm -hmm. And. And regardless of what people think about the Messiah, whether they think he's going to be someone who does work miracles or whether they think he's just going to be David, it obviously meant war. I mean, within when the word gets to Herod over this, Herod's ready to kill people. Yeah. Regardless of who you think the Messiah is going to be, whether something very practical and earthly or something more heavenly, it means it's going to mean war. Conflict. Yeah, yeah conflict. Okay. We also know Zechariah was visited by Gabriel. We're, we're not going to go into that, though you do find that in, in Luke chapter 1. I've preached that a lot over the last three <laughs> weeks. And we know that that word would have come to Mary as well. She would have also known that the Gabriel message where for Zachariah was that this child is going to be preparing the way of the Lord. She would have heard those things too. So let's just go ahead and package that into our study today. And we'll come back to that when we look at everything as a whole, if anybody wants to. But for now, let's go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 10 through 14 where the shepherds come and visit Mary. And that's where we actually find this, this last angelic visit really that really shapes things. So Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, it says, Do not be afraid. This is the angel to the shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom he favors. Mm. And then you can go a little bit further down in the Luke text. And after the shepherds, they come to Mary and then they leave. But they tell Mary what's happened to him. So the angel was not there with the heavenly host. They didn't, it wasn't right there at the, the manger scene. They come and they tell Mary about this. And then we find there in that, that last verse, um, chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. So y'all walk me through this experience with the shepherds. Pastor Mike, why don't you begin on this one? Well, first of all, you started out right there with the good news, the gospel. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, you ask, what is a gospel in this first century understanding? For us, you know, 2,000 years later, we almost treat it like it's a genre of literature, and we talk about, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and John being the gospels. Uh, but really and truly, that would have been uh, an odd understanding for our for our Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and for those folks in the first century, that the good news really is the birth of a noble uh, individual, or it is a, a sign, or a, an announcement, rather, that there has been a victory battle, especially in the, the Greco-Roman understanding of that. But even from the Hebrew understanding, there would, there would be uh, the gospel that, that a, a, something has, is uh, of good news. And that's the same word we get evangel. Lies. And so this whole understanding that a battle is being won, a son is being born, all of this coming points to that there is still this conflict and this, this battle. And then when you get to verse 14, uh, you know, that peace on, on earth. 
And so, you know, peace, as we understand in the Hebrew understanding, is going to be that completeness, that wholeness, that shalom, that, that is not just such a, a battling, but even in the midst of the battle, you're going to feel complete because it is the God of heaven and the glory and the presence of salvation happening. It's, it's uh, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, way uh, Luke writes this. Sure. Amazing. Pastor Amanda, I'll let you pick up. Yeah, um, well, I think initially, again, kind of very uh, simply, as, as Mary is cradling her n- newborn son, their strangers pop up. Um, and maybe she might have been thinking she wished they had showed up a little bit sooner um, <laughs> if she was left alone with or just her and Joseph with delivering a baby. And shepherds may have at least known how to deliver a, a lamb. So I don't know. They, they may have, I guess, some kind of midwife is better than none. But anyway, so, like, so I think they're, again, I think there's a very practical essence to this phrase that she ponders them in her heart. She just probably finally had a quiet moment to, to think about what in the world had just happened. What was just hap- what is still was still unfolding in front of her, but also then to hear this news that the shepherds or, or the angels came again now to shepherds and, and the shepherds who were probably one of, again, the least of these kind of in that culture. Uh, they're a little bit of the outsiders. They're out in the fields all this time. They're not really, um, a part of the day-to-day society you know they're not at the city gates arguing torah they're not in, in the courts arguing law uh, they're just kind of in, in the peripherals and the angels come to them and then tell them this good news and you know pastor mike had mentioned how in that time saying gospel was this great announcement one of which meaning that a, a son a prince was born but i also kind of wonder if the angels or if the shepherds they hear angels these angelic beings saying this good news has come to you you will find it as a baby wrapped in, in scraps of cloth lying in a feeding trough that some of the angels weren't like, wait, did run that by us one more time. Because at no point was there go to the palace, you know, and inquire about a prince. It was not go into, you know, Herod's uh, palace and, 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 and ask about this or go into the temple and, and find some great gift. It, it was your your savior is a baby who at this point can't even keep his own head up. Yeah. <laughs> and like you are called to participate in good news that honestly doesn't really look like good news yet. Yeah. Pastor Mike, this is such a powerful story because what you have here is shepherds out in, out in the field. And we all know, you know, the shepherds probably wasn't the, the most uh, desired job. But nonetheless, this was, they were there with, with uh, you know, sheep and lambs. And some of those lambs will go to Jerusalem for the Passover meal. They probably had no understanding that this, this child that they were going to find in this feeding trough would go to a cross for the forgiveness of sins for the entire world and not only but it is ironic that it's there and i think it's just a it's just so powerful uh, that god revealed this to those who were looking to present those perfect um unblemished lambs and then it, and then there's something else there i think is very important is that that jesus is in this feeding trough and yet we 2000 years later continue to go to the lord's table a feeding trough, basically for us sheep, uh, and Jesus is still the good shepherd feeding us. Uh, a lot of these things, no way could they have known, but yet it is this revelation, this obedience, and this call to be faithful, go and see. And really, I love this story, not only as part of Advent, but the Christmas season, but a great adventure starts. Go ahead and, and enter that adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things here, I know, Pastor Mike, you kind of talked about, you know, Mary being a woman in the first century. And and you know what? God, God doesn't give a rip about how we view the world. He doesn't care if you're a man, woman, shepherd, king. He loves us all. God wants people to walk in truth. Amen. Every creature... Every man and woman that's created in his image, his creatures, he wants you to walk in truth. He doesn't have to censor anybody. He lets truth have its day, and he lets goodness have its day. Mm -hmm. And one of the things which is built into the history of Christ's birth is that both Mary, Joseph, every character you find there, God comes to him and says, something's going to happen. Go out, and you're going to find some factual evidence that will match the good news you're hearing. Zechariah. 
You're going to have to be in timeout for nine months, but then there's going to be evidence you can weigh against it. Elizabeth, there's going to be a child. Mary Joseph, there's going to be a child. Shepherds, go over to Bethlehem. Go find the truth. You walk in the truth. Don't listen to what the news media says. Don't be scammed by somebody who's got their Emerald City and Wizard of Oz, you know, concoction that they've rigged together. There's always people trying to scam you and tell you how to think. God wants you to walk in the truth. Mm -hmm. There's, walk there's in the truth, faith, walk in the goodness. There is a faith that calls us to action, not just a faith that, 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 that says, oh, yeah, I believe and just sit back down. But no, in all of these stories, this revelation uh, uh, from the angels, from God, is it, what is an angel? Angel is a messenger yeah. of God. But yes, this whole call, it, 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 the response is action. Yeah. And there is a response uh, that is tied with our faith today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So as we wrap this up, to answer the question, the mystery of the birth of Christ there, when you see Mary, what is she really treasuring in her heart? I want the one big takeaway I want us to have that is oftentimes glazed over. And we've we've learned this from our own investigation just here in the studio today. And those of you in the audience, you've participated in this as well. Mary knew that there was confrontation looming. There was an a, an unprecedented amount of goodness and beauty that was looming, but also a cosmic war that she had enough of a framework to understand. From what's been given to her through Joseph, through Elizabeth, through Zachariah, through herself, through the angels, they know the Lord has come and they know he's going to sit on a throne, which means there's going to be have something between Rome is going to be sorted out. That's like the floor. That's the minimum. But at the maximum, there's going to be a war of those cosmic principalities, which even though the Jewish people, they didn't have the writings of Paul, they weren't going to go through their New Testament epistles, but they did have the prophets. They had watched everything back from when the gods of Egypt went to war with the Lord God of all creation, and they were liberated. There are slaves in each. They have seen this sort of cosmic battle before, and what she is hearing, has been beauty beyond all imagination, a miracle. Yeah, but there's yeah. also that hint of something, something's coming, and they, and within a few moments, Herod is trying to kill that child. Yeah, and and you know another thing that is so powerful here is that, you know, as as much as that they are, you know, looking how this affects their lives, and you know, for a young lady to be pregnant out of, uh, you know, may she may be, you know, betrothed to Joseph, but really out of out of, uh, you know you know, the, a wedding picture here. And even though that's a little more details to that in the uh, con- context of the Jewish way that happened back in the first century, but nonetheless, th- there is the whole world, as you said, the cosmos, all of this is coming for a battle, that the world is dark, that there is no, there are lots of things that are not very pretty. Not And to know that light and beauty is coming and God chose not to give up on creation not yeah. to give up on Joseph Mary Zechariah yeah. and Elizabeth but not to give up on creation as itself says so much there and and you know beyond that also what we learn from that is God says if you're going to walk through this massive cosmic battle you don't have to have all the answers you don't have don't to have, have that to nice have all business the plan answers. but you need to be righteous there in your family yep you want to you want to be prepared. You want the the pre-Paul whole armor of God, um, the family life. Put it on. Mm-hmm. Amanda, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this segment and get into the next one? No, I, th- I think I'm good to transition good? to the next one. Yeah. Well, let's transition to the next one. We'll be back to talk about goodness because goodness is something which is often overlooked in our world, and we really need to understand it and spend some time pondering it. So, thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. let's talk about goodness. When we see Mary there at the cross, we can look in the gospel according to St. John chapter 19 verses 25 through 26 and it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. And there was also his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Here is your son. 
And I want us to think about goodness for a moment because, you know, in our modern day and age, we don't really understand what goodness is. And I've been talking about this online and all the stuff I do, whether it be uh, here at Jolton or the Nazarene Stream Preacher or here <laughs> in our Friday program, Kingdom of the Logos, been talking a lot about goodness because we don't really understand what it is. Oftentimes we'll come along and we'll have a meal, we'll have a hamburger and say, that was a good burger. But you're not talking about goodness, you're talking about how the burger satisfied you. You can say, I had a good day today. But you're not talking about goodness, you're just satisfied that you didn't have a flat tire on the way home. <laughs> to actually understand what is good is to step into something larger than ourselves. Goodness itself is worth talking about. And we have to remember that goodness is not something which is always fun. It's not always safe. It's not always um, pain-free. In fact, real goodness, the noble goodness of God, it is often very painful and very dangerous. And for Mary, she had not only the difficulty of just being a mother and a mother in the first century, but there had been people trying to kill her son all throughout her life. When he's a baby, you know, Herod tries to kill him and kills all these other children horrible evil. She's seen all that happen. Imagine living with that, hmm. that they, they wanted to kill your son so bad that they wiped out all the children and this, this whole region. I mean, imagine living with that when you grow up. And then I know in the Gospels, we get a few other times before Jesus actually goes to the cross where they're conspiring against him, whether they want to, you know, throw him off the cliffs or, you know, they're trying to arrest him or whatnot. Mary had watched people try to kill her son all throughout her life. And then when it finally happens that he's on the cross, she is seeing both the ultimate love and goodness of God, but also in the most painful thing you could ever imagine. God is watching us, a son is dying. Mm -hmm. Mary is watching us, a son is dying. And on top of that, through lies and scams, the, the charade they've put on here is the biggest scam, and they've told you it's a scam. They say, oh, uh, Pilate, he's, he says he's the king. He's not a, you're not a friend of Caesar. He's trying to insurrect. And by the way, free us the insurrectionist Barabbas, who's a murderer. They don't care about any of that stuff. They're all liars. And the, the fiends who do this, and even the Roman soldiers, there are a few centurions who open up their hearts and their eyes. But there are also some who will roll their dice and say, well, I know he said he'll forgive us on the cross. He's sitting up there saying, you know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in the same verse in Scripture, and whoever parsed out the verses, obviously that happens later, but they did a very wise thing showing you in that Luke text. In the same verse where it says, and they... and." Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know that what they do. The rest of the verse says, and they cast lots for his clothes. They would rather have his bloody rags than even care about any of the bigger stuff going on. And that's how we are in life. People are depraved. Hmm. They'd rather eat an onion or read the news and find themselves in hell than do anything good or even pleasurable sometimes. So I want to talk about goodness. That's all my commentary on this. Goodness is neither... Um, cheap nor easy, and I'm going to let y'all just step into this. Pastor Man, I'll let you go first. I, I think what we hear, especially in this text, and our in in our context of talking about goodness, um, I think sometimes we can make goodness very abstract, and we're trying to figure like what is good. We almost echo um, Pilate's question, "What is truth?" We're like, well, then what is good? What does it mean to good to be good? What does it mean to do no harm? Uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves? And, and we, we try to parse these things out. And what we see is Jesus is on the cross, dying a very agonizing death. Like, I couldn't even imagine trying to hold a conversation, uh, let alone having this kind of conversation, where Jesus recognizes his earthly responsibility as the oldest son is to take care of his widowed mother. And decides, all right, I've got to take care of this. Like, at some point, also, I'm like, you didn't have a last will or testament that couldn't have thought of this sooner. But anyways... Jesus is on the cross, dying an agonizing death, carrying the weight of the sins of the world, and not just the world as it was known in that time or the people uh, of that time, of all time. And yet he decides to take care of his mom. And I think that's for us to show us goodness is very practical. And that's not to take away the cosmic aspects of goodness, but to say it, it is, we can participate in it. In our daily lives it is something that like as you've talked about with christmas it starts with a family deciding to be a family yeah that really by the standards of their culture by their day um may not have defined them as a family they would have defined them maybe as a broken family because you do have this kind of baby that really isn't joseph's but yet joseph is taking care of it and so now we see again the answer to this is god saying like regardless of how you want to define 
family or community, you take care of one another. That's yeah. that's your job. This is what salvation looks like is taking care of one another. This is what goodness looks like. Yeah. I want to I want to poke your conversation a little bit further along, Amanda, because you, you made me think of something. You know, mm-hmm. whenever people are trying to get people to give to something, if you tell somebody there's a thousand kids starving, they may or may not give. But if you give them the story of one person, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll be quick to give to that. Not only was God carrying the whole sins of the world on the cross, he was also carrying a collapsed family on the cross where mm-hmm. now this mother has lost her oldest son. She's also got to deal with sort of the the problems of your son just dying this way, you know, the way that that just wrecked your whole life. Yeah. And Jesus, he is that personal, practical. We oftentimes forget the human side of Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Jesus is fully God, fully man. They are That is a, a reality that is true. Fully God, fully man. And it's not some like weird dualistic thing where you can kind of have these weird formulas and stuff, but fully God, fully man, carrying the the full weight of the world, but also the enormous weight of the family. They're on the cross too. And I'll just let you kind of pick up there. Well, and I think that's the thing where then he looks at, and, and also we've talked about this before when we've talked about the gospel of John and the beloved disciple, although uh, many scholars would say that probably is a reference to John or at least a disciple we also see that maybe the author of this gospel is inviting all of us who are the beloved disciples. Yeah. And, and again, we're hearing this uh, invitation into the story, but also into the grand story of God that says, look around you and see who are the people that need to be taken care of. And, and Jesus quite honestly, like lays it out for the beloved disciple, uh, woman, this is your son disciple, this is now your mother. Which also makes me think, what what does John then do with his mom? Because we often think, I think, of between James and John, John and James, John is the oldest or at least the more responsible one. So I don't know, again, what was going through John's head because his, his teacher, his beloved friend is also dying. And now he's like, Jesus is like, and with all of this, this is another responsibility. We kind of go back to the, the earlier discussion about Mary being highly favored. Sometimes we don't want to be highly favored because that means more work. But we see Jesus very practically mending. And this is what salvation is, right? It's salve. It's healing. Even on the cross, like you said, God is healing a broken family. And it's it, terrible. And I think in our, our uh preparation earlier you you asked about how mary maybe was thinking in this time and was she anticipating the resurrection was there hope for a resurrection or was she not quite quite um you know did she not quite understand that was going to happen and and i was just thinking you know even if she honestly 100 percent believed jesus was going to be raised on the third day that doesn't help you for three days yeah. for three yeah. days your son is dead yeah and in that moment he is dying a horrific death and yet there is there's love yeah and that's why I always think of Good Friday being Black Friday, mm. because th- this whole situation is just black. And Pastor Mike, I'm going to pitch a, a question for you. And I know you've got some other thoughts and you're free to share them, too. But, you know, earlier we mentioned how Mary, she knows that the the word of God, God's promises, his messages, they don't bear bad fruit. You know, we have the New Testament. God is not enticed by sin. He doesn't entice you by sin. We, we know that God's word, it comes back favorably. She just watched them actually kill him. Mm. He was dead, and she watched all of this stuff happen. And on top of that, when we look at the whole situation there on the cross, and we compare that to a modern day and age, our modern day and age cannot agree on what is true on like the basic level. In Jesus' time, they could not agree on that. The Jewish world, the Roman world, and God <laughs> they could not agree on what is true. And what happened is they killed God. Mm. Goodness dies when people cannot agree on what is true. That's the last question that Pilate asked Jesus in sort of the official interview before he goes out and kind of has rendered his thoughts. He says, what is truth? When the Jewish people, the Roman people, when, when people cannot agree on the basic of what is true, they kill goodness. It, goodness cannot survive a culture that can't agree on that. And Mary watches all of this happen. What do you think her thoughts are? Does she think that that this really is the death of God? This really is the death of the good. Goodness itself is that. What do you what? And again, just 
What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, what you pick up in, in Matthew's gospel, you know, the unforgivable sin is is basically there when it's talking about blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. It's basically saying that when you blaspheme God and say that God is not good, whether it be the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or God the Father, and understand, I, I don't believe you know Mary had the understanding of the whole Trinity or anything at that point in time, but nonetheless, this whole. Uh, everything that Mary is seeing with with truth, with lies, with this this conflict that you're seeing, truly there is not only um, the sense that that blaspheming is happening, but God goes to the cross, and yet she is seeing God dying at this very moment, and yet. We, the rest of the story is that God has redefined death in the resurrection as not the end, but as the beginning. But for her at this moment, it's got to be a tremendous sense of this is the end. Hmm. This is the end of his life. This is the end of my life. This is the end of everything. I. This is the end of God. What is happening? And why was I most blessed yeah. to experience this? A lot of emotions, whether it be anger, frustration, sadness, grief, all of these are upon Mary. And yet going through this, we see that Mary is faithful, still obedient, still at that point of all of these emotions, but still the Mary that we read earlier about saying, let it be. And that's a hard place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I think is you were talking about good goodness earlier. We look on here the word Mary. Uh, we, you know, a lot of times the the uh, you trace that back to Miriam um, in the Old Testament, but it does mean going back to Egypt. Going back to Egypt, yep. Um, but this is where it means beloved. Uh, I think we looked that up earlier. And so if we look at this uh, John text, who is John is always interested in life and light and really what we call goodness and truth in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. And so as we, we understand that theme that constantly runs through the, the writings of John, we see that Mary being the beloved and there's three Marys listed in verses 25 and, and 26. There's, there's Mary. And then John, who doesn't refer to himself in first person, always calls himself the beloved disciple or the disciple whom he loved. We have right there the word beloved four times. And beloved really means loved of God. And as we look at this, family is about how we accept and treat one another and that the family of God is more than just a biological um, thing, that this is about being in the family of God and being adopted and brought in. It is about taking care of one another. And truly, not only is God good, but the family design that God has made and, and has put in place is good. Yeah. It's it's uh, just a powerful text, Pastor Amanda. Well, I was gonna say you you had brought up what what Mary means or the name might might mean if we look in some of the ancient languages, and I think Pastor Dylan also looked up that Mary might also mean rebellious, which I think also is perfect for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Although we often paint her in quite a a, a, a rose colored kind of lens, uh, her actions by participating in the life of God were quite rebellious. Um, against the culture of that day, yeah. against the thought of that day. And like you're saying, there's a war going on on what is truth. Nobody can agree. And yet here stands uh, a single person that says, I believe truth is, is the Christ, is the yep. Savior, Jesus. And and so there there's some really cool things, I think, that Mary is doing that she is really rebelling Rebelling against, against the evil in yeah, the world. Against yeah, against the, the standards and the conflict of the world. And again, uh, Jesus conquers not by the sword, but by being sacrificed. So again, there, there's all these rebellions that are happening. And now uh, uh, an unarmed, uh, probably considered very weak woman, just stands in the middle of global conflict, uh, cosmic conflict. And simply says that that to rebel against this is to to love. Yeah. Um, so to, to be beloved is to rebel. And and when all else, when all other disciples except for John have abandoned, yeah, yeah. 
There she is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't ever, I've said a lot of weird things this year. I didn't know <laughs> that like rebellion would be uplifting. But what Amanda just said, it was more uplifting than where I was at. You know, whenever I get to this point and, and the way that John's gospel is very methodology, the, the way it, its philosophy works is a little bit different the way it communicates. And it resonates a little bit better with my, how my brain works. That doesn't mean it's better than the other gospels. I'm not rating them out. But as I get through chapters 18, 19, and the beginning of 20, like you can feel the lightness snuffed out of the world. Like mm. it, it even makes the studio, which right now we can go back and watch the film without audio and see if it actually gets darker in here. But it feels <laughs> like it's getting darker reading Jesus get on the cross and say, woman, here is your son. Mm. Because all of everything everyone in here has said, Mary is watching the cosmic battle play out, but she also watches that death, mm-hmm. which is has got to feel like a crushing defeat. Mm. That, yeah, you, you were willing to stand in that gap, but then you watched the gap close. Yeah. You were willing to watch the fabric of creation get ripped apart. Mm-hmm. And it got ripped apart. And you had to, you had to, you were taken, you were taken to somebody's house that evening. And, and you had to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you had another day. And whereas another we. Day. We read through this story, and when we get to the cross, I know I, I constantly catch myself in trying to read faster and faster to get to the empty tomb and the resurrection. But understand, three days is a long time yeah. uh, to sit of in this. grieving. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's bound to have seemed like, you know, um, the world had just caved in around her in all, all areas. Yeah. And yet, who do we find on the third day? On the yeah. third morning, the, yeah. the two, and Mary. and as bleak as it does feel, and our conversation right now is on goodness. Mm. It is goodness is not just was the coffee adequately mixed. <laughs> Did Burger King actually get my order right? No, no. Amanda says no. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of comedy in there, um, but real goodness is a goal by itself, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't have the stomach for real goodness. Oddly enough, a lot of people don't have the backbone to even look at it hmm. because to see something that is actually good is something to behold. Goodness is rare and it's powerful. And to see what and really to understand the goodness of the resurrection, you have to spend some time looking at this. You have to just sit down and understand that the gospel records the life of Mary, the life of those others who were there for a reason. They should change how you live. Mm. The truth that is contained here, this history of these real people who lived and walked, they dealt with this stuff. The wickedness that was you know, promulgated out there, it was real. Mm. And you do well to see it because look at it and behold your God, look at the Son of God. Look at it. Look at the goodness of God. You know, the goodness of God also, in all of this, points towards it, is the incarnation. Jesus, God in flesh, incarnation. The, the, so, so we see this, that, that, you know, this is more than just Jesus coming to show us a good way to live. This is so powerful about you know, the forgiveness of sins, the salvation, the, the righteousness of God coming into this world and not abandoning this world. This is such a, a, a good news that we really are confined by our finite words of this infinite God who has done something so miraculous. Oh, it's just, uh, you know, we just can't hardly get enough of this, this uh, historical m- moment. Yeah. That's why we love Christmas so much. It's yeah. why we, you know, I, I get tickled because uh, um, where, where I'm pastoring at, you know, we've got this nativity scene. And so I want to keep, you know, Jesus is coming. So I've got Mary and Joseph, but I hadn't put put baby Jesus in the the manger yet. Mm-hmm. So it's up and it's out on the corner where at, at, at the intersection where everybody can see. And 
you know, I've had several people ask me, what happened to Jesus? Jesus? What happened? And I'm like, he's coming December 25th. Be ready. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I come one day, and somebody's already placed one in there. There (laughs) is no such thing as Christmas without Christ Jesus. And someone had to have, you know, I don't know who put it in there or what, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be the pastor that takes Christ (laughs) Jesus out of the manger. I left I left that baby in there. I tell you, I'm not going to be the one. You're the one taking no, Christ out I of Christmas. Not. I see now. But I see someone put it in there. It I won't be taking Christ out of Christmas, but I tell you, it's amazing, though. But the story is so powerful that mm. it's deep in within us that we want to see Jesus. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's great. Yeah, and I think a word of encouragement, something you both have mentioned uh, before, but, um, you know, this is also why when we celebrate the easter season while we have holy saturday is for us to sit in this we do we want to rush to the resurrection we want to rush for jesus Mm -hmm. to be in the manger but we have to allow ourselves to sometimes realize and to use a phrase that pastor dylan used we are called to stand in the gap and sometimes the gap may crush us but we are still called to be there and so i think especially in the season i think some people have found a renewal of of hobbies and maybe a renewal of connecting with family in new ways because of how this season has this year has has been but we can also just say this year probably for most has sucked (laughs) and we can say that but even in the midst of that darkness even in the midst of holy saturday we can still exist in the faithfulness of God. Yeah. So, and I, I think that's, this should be encouraging for us as dark as this yeah. conversation has been, as dark as this has been, it should encourage us to say, if Mary, the the mother of God, can sit and exist and find love even on Holy Saturday, surely we can make it. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it's, I, th- it's, I think the whole thing about, you know, Mary... You know, when I say Mary experiences the death of Jesus, she is there, you know, probably often wishing it was her rather than her son. And, and, you know, just to experience death the way Mary watched her son up there, we ask what is good. And we know from the story that there is a resurrection. But for Mary at that point in time, I think we can identify that we go through times and, and, and situations where it's hard to see anything good. But mm. again, it goes back to we have to trust God and see how even, no matter what evil tries to do to us, God is going to, 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 to be good. Yeah. And, and that's, Amen. I mean, God is good. Amen. And going back, Mary, of course, is fully human. When Mary remembers that message that came to her so many years ago, that God's word, God's promises, they don't they don't just be petty things which come back empty. They actually are going to take you to a place of truth. For her to watch there, him actually die on the cross. And even though Jesus has talked about this stuff, we as people, you know, even if we know something's true in our brain, we have a hard time sorting that out in our heart. That's just how we are. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. see how Mary... She doesn't have an answer, Mm-mm. really. Did did is there no hope ever again? Did God just die? And the answer is yes. God did just die. That's right. God said He had the power to resurrect. You're going to find out. Mm. And for for days she had to sit there. And, you, and and not only does it feel like there's no hope in your family because you just watched this happen, but it also feels like there's there's no hope anywhere because there's no longer God. Mm. God has been defeated. God is over. All the truth of creation, the very fabric which binds even the sun together. And we know when Jesus dies on the cross, what, what is it that happens? You do have that darkness that comes and descends on the people. The, the temple is torn. The, the cosmic signs of the world break down before her eyes, and she's got to sit there and deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no way you can get an answer for it. It's not. I mean, I, I imagine about that time she's really hoping, come on, Gabriel, you were here before. <laughs> let's, let's come see me again. Well, yeah, and, and to Just, think if she had heard even Jesus retelling the story of his temptation. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, she would have known the Psalms of David. Yeah. Um, even if she was, you know, she wasn't a rabbi, so she, she may not have had the whole Pentateuch memorized, but she would have had key passages known to her. She would have known he will, you know, send angels so you don't even dash your foot on a stone and her son 
yep. is dying. And yep. like, yeah, no, I, I think this is just, it's just amazing to me as we look at like Mary's story specifically spanning from Christmas to Easter or the nativity, the, the birth narrative to now the crucifixion, the death, like you've, this, I don't know, this is overwhelming. I couldn't imagine. I, I, uh, my sister was telling me she was praying for my dog because he's getting old and I said, you can't say anything. That's it. Stop the conversation. Like I couldn't even comprehend potentially talking about my dog, let alone thinking someone losing their son or their child. Like I just, oh, I, it's It's terrifying. Yes. And, and, but to still to hear that, although and also to hear later on, which which Mary would have continued to be a part, a vital, important part of the church and the, yep. the early church and life in the church. And she would hear the writings of Paul and, and things being said, like, even in Hades, you know, the grace, the gospel of God was being preached to those um, who had long been dead. Like, to, to just hear, even for her to think back in that time, the most awful time of her life, yeah, God was still at work. Yeah. And... That will preach all day long. Yeah, it will <laughs> preach. And and it feels just like the most awful time in all creation to me. Yeah. Like it's it's like the pinnacle of, of blackness. Those that time frame darkness, between the yeah, yeah, this and I mean like I'm I'm like crushed now. Like we're already <laughs> over time, so we're not gonna be able to get to our third segment, but I also feel like like I'm done for the this day. Is it. <laughs> yeah, let's this go is home, it. take a nap, put the blanket yep. over well, your head, yep. done. And and, yep. and let's not forget that, you know, God took on flesh and blood in Christ Jesus, but God the Father also experienced the death that he knows what it's like to see that pain and to to identify with parents who have lost Mm. uh, children and who have seen those injustices take place in the world and you know one of the great joys we have is is as john writes uh in john 3 not only 16 but 17 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved and healed Mm. And so we know that that God knows what a parent feels like that has lost a son, yeah. not just Mary, but God the Father knows. And he has redefined death and given us hope. And even when evil tries to make this the darkest, ugliest, uh, and 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 steal the, the keys to the kingdom so what and, and crush God, God is the victor. And for me, the cross is extremely important, extremely important. But I also realize that the resurrection is the answer to the cross yep. and to evil when it thinks it's had its day. Yeah. Mm. And by the way, also reading Revelation makes me feel good. Like a lot of people get crushed <laughs> by that. I actually feel good about Revelation. Revelation is basically everybody who needs a whipping that didn't get one gets a whipping. And also God says, you know, you're not one. Of, you need, you're one of those that, those that laugh when I, other people get a whipping. No, you are. You those, are one of those people that want to laugh at others getting a whipping. Be careful. Revelation three tells us, "Those whom I love, I rebuke and chastise." And that is that is also the element of the life of God that says, you know, sometimes you're going to do wicked things. I'm going to love you despite that. Not for the brokenness, not into the brokenness, but despite the brokenness, I love you and want to bring some healing because I actually want you to be saved on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. And you do see that while evil had all of these enormous desires, it had all of these schemes and things, and all of this worked against Jesus, Jesus comes back victorious, and when Christ returns for that second advent, the, the hammer is going to be dropped. It's, it's not going to be as warm and fuzzy as it was here. I mean, the scripture is pretty clear on that. The, the warm fuzziness, which again, this wasn't very warm and fuzzy. <laughs> right. the, not warm and fuzzy, the events of the cross, but... When Jesus comes, things will be sorted out. All right. So this is what it takes to look at goodness. The love of God, to see the goodness of God, you've got to sit and look at these moments. You've got to have the stomach for it. Mm. So we're going to wrap up there, but we are going to have some final thoughts. Okay. Um, some things we've seen this week, just some things to be excited about. Uh, and since we didn't spend any time talking about this beforehand, I'm going to share my final thought first, and that'll give you all some time to think about stuff. Okay. So I saw something really cool. In the Protestant world, we don't do a lot of pilgrimages, but if anybody needs to do a pilgrimage, and here it's around Christmas time, do a pilgrimage to the Giro shop in Ashland City, because there, Euro? the Euro shop, whatever, <laughs> yeah. 
we'll, we'll debate that. that. I do not it, know. A lot of people pronounce it a lot of different ways. The most common I've heard is Euro, but I've I've, I've heard it a hundred ways too. But yeah. yeah, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not going to claim that I can, but. The people that run it, there's a man that, that runs that shop down in Ashland City. It's the one next to the U.S. Bank. And he's got a crucifix. They're Coptic Christians. They're Christians from Egypt who have left Egypt under persecution. Um, really, really nice people. And they've got a crucifix there that is made at a monastery that was built on the site where Jesus stayed when he was in Egypt. Hmm. So, and if you go in there and talk to him about the crucifix, he'll he'll show you videos and stuff of the church, the monastery, and all the, the activities that's been built on the site where Jesus stayed in Egypt. But they have a crucifix that's from from that site. Oh, cool. um, so that's just something which is really cool to go and see. It's a very beautiful crucifix, um, which also means it's a little bit um, graphic. Graphic, yeah. Um, it's 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 something which is a little you know. It's hard to look at. Yeah, hard to look at. Mm. But it is true. It is good. It is mm. beautiful. So that's kind of my final thought. If anybody wants to do a pilgrimage and see, we're Southerners, we like to eat. You can kind of make it into like a, a dinner date too. It's like, oh, we're going to go eat at the shop. <laughs> at um, the Euro shop and look at the crucifix. Yeah. So that's my final thought. Something really cool. And it ties into the Christmas story mm-hmm. too. Um, I was really, really kind of shocked when they told me where it came from. Pastor Mike, do you have a final thought? You know, uh, as you were saying that it it, uh, it sparked something for me. Of course, the 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 Egyptian and the Coptics, they run off a di- different calendar than we do in the, in the West. Uh, and I love all my brothers and sisters in the Coptic Church, and they celebrate Christmas on January the 7th. And I'll never forget, I went to their church on, on Christmas for them, January 7th, one year. And they fast during Advent from me. Um, and, oh, my, there was the biggest barbecue I believe mm. I've ever been to. And and it was such a celebration. And, uh, you know, it was just so much joy and beauty. And, and yeah, um, uh, it was just a great celebration. So, you know, as you were saying that, I say, you know, you, your pilgrimage may be down. I just say go to church on, on, on their Christmas or our Christmas and enjoy yourself tremendously it is a feast that we celebrate Amen. i'm going to abstain from any comments on <laughs> wedding crashing and then christmas party crashing no celebrate yeah. the lord yes. um, indeed amanda i was trying to think for my final thought you had mentioned looking forward so one of the traditions of my family is on christmas eve we watch a christmas carol the george c scott version and uh, this year, what we're going to do because of different things and where our family is going to be on Christmas Eve, we're going to watch the movie together in the morning. Um, and then that night I had planned for our church, our Christmas Eve service was to watch as a as a church congregation, the, a Christmas carol. So I'll watch it twice on that day. And as to conclude also our conversation about what is good, there's a line in there where Marley's ghost is visiting Ebenezer Scrooge and Scrooge says, well, you were always a good man of business. And Marley responds with business, mankind was my business. Uh, Charity, love, compassion was my business. And so it's a very wonderful line. And and all throughout that movie, uh, A Christmas Carol is a fantastic book. I encourage everyone to read it. And the George C. Scott version is probably the most faithful adaptation of it and most serious adaptation. It is not a family-friendly film, to be honest. Uh, Not that kids can't watch it, but it calls us to hard things, to dark things, to scary things. But it does call us to goodness and to uh, be a people of what is truly to be our business, and that is to love one another. So I'm looking forward to even watching a movie I have watched a thousand times, watching it twice within like a 12-hour period. so I am, I'm, I'm, that is probably one of the most things about Christmas I am looking forward to. Well, and you know, there's this sense, uh, you know, I know there's the, the paranormal ghost that comes yeah. and, and, and reveals things to him, but there is somewhat of a, a parallel um, thing happening here with the, the, the text that we've watched and listened to today as Dylan read them, and that is the, the, you know, angelic beings, the mm-hmm. otherworldly beings coming yeah. and revealing uh, to Mary. And I think there's something there that we we kind of slip into the shoes of Ebenezer Scrooge. I know I do. And, and hear those and wonder and contemplate my own life. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. We'll be back. God love you and have a blessed day.
We'll be back. Not <laughs> right now. We're closing for now. <laughs> we'll have a, a little Christmas short that we'll be putting out. We'll see you in a few weeks. God love you and have a blessed day.